I want to start by just welcoming you all here. I'm really encouraged to see so many faces, some familiar, some not, and uh, it's encouraging. If you don't know what's going on, I want to welcome you to our first official Church at Five service. This is the fully English service of Calvary Chapel Freiburg, and we are, it's every, it's a weekly service, so I encourage you to come weekly if you, uh, if you enjoy to this evening, and um, our goal in having an all-English service is to create a different kind of atmosphere. I think language is something that's very important, and it's a huge part of who we are. It's a huge part of our culture, and so in having an all-English service, we're kind of trying to create a different kind of subculture that anyone can feel welcome in. We want to, play, to create a place for internationals and Anybody who would be drawn to English to feel welcome. It doesn't matter if you're a native English speaker or maybe English is just one of many languages that you speak. Or maybe English is just easier than German for you. German is not the easiest language to learn. But whatever brought you here today, whatever reason you came, I want to encourage you. It's no accident. I don't think anybody's here on accident. There's a reason for us to be here today. And I want to, again, heart from my heart, just welcome you to our first English service. Now, as it's our first service, I want to also kind of introduce myself. Uh, like I say, some of you probably don't know who I am. I'll start with my name, Brandon Barger. And if you couldn't tell, I'm not German. I actually come from Texas, so in the U.S., and a lot of times when I say I'm from Texas, people get a lot of interesting ideas about Texas and what that means. Uh, it is true. Texas is definitely not like the rest of America. It's kind of got its own thing going. But it's not all guns and rodeos. There's uh, also some, in, you know, barbecue and... Well, that's, that's, the, that's the highlights. Um... But yeah, I love Texas, and I was really blessed to grow up in Texas, but I live here now, and I'm really blessed to be in Germany and to call Freiburg my home. And the only thing I really miss about Texas is, of course, friends and family, which, you know, you're always going to miss, but uh, food sometimes, definitely barbecue. That will uh, always be something that I look forward to when I get to visit. Uh, but I've actually been uh, living here in Germany for exactly six years and 13 days as of today. So that's kind of some exciting news for you. Kind of a big deal for me. I don't know. Six years was not originally in the plan when I came here. I thought I would just be here for a year. God had other plans. That seems to be how it works sometimes. God leads us or kind of sometimes, in my case, convinces us to do one thing, uh, not telling us the whole plan that he has in mind. But I'm glad that I did come, and I have met my wife here, and now I've been happily married for a little over a year now, and this is definitely my home. This is where I intend to stay, at least for the foreseeable future, as long as God doesn't have anything else secret in mind that he hasn't told me yet, as he usually does. I came here originally in uh, 2010, on October 17th, and I came here to help plant and help uh, work with the church. And I did that for about three years. 
And I did a little bit of everything. It was kind of a smaller church. If you've ever worked in small church ministry, you know that you do everything. I did a lot of toilet cleaning and scrubbing floors and all that really fun stuff, as well as getting to lead Bible studies and train leaders and be trained as a leader and also having the opportunity to preach. So that was a really cool and life-changing experience for me. And after that, a uh, little of this and little of that, but the, a really key turn in my life was some time that I spent in India where I got to work with a mission and that does ministry in the red light area of Mumbai. And that was just a really life-changing experience. Um, if you've not been to something that's outside of Western culture, it's really important to kind of see that there's a lot more going on in the world. And so that was a really cool experience. Got to work with a lot with kids, which was always really fun and exhausting, but mostly fun. And I got to share the gospel through evangelism one-on-one, as well as, again, having opportunities to preach. And that's just a little bit about my background, especially in ministry. But uh, for now, I don't want to go on anymore because I think we have some really awesome texts that we're going to be getting into today. If you do want to know more about me, you can come talk to me. You can have some tea, some coffee. I'd love to tell you more about my life. But for now, let's get into the Word. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at the first chapter of Galatians, the first few verses. If you have a Bible, turn it on, open it up. I really encourage you to to bring your Bible if you have one. And nowadays you can just download one for free, so it's not too difficult. But uh, I think that there's something very helpful and it can be encouraging for us to read the text for ourselves along with. I will be reading it. It should be on the screen. But I always like to encourage people, if you have a Bible, read along with. Before we dive into it, though, let's go ahead and pray and just give this time over to God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for your holy, perfect word that we can look at, that we can study, that we can examine together. God, that we can know you better through it, that we can understand your ways better, God, and and serve you better with our lives. I ask you to open our hearts today to what you want to say, to what you want to do in this service, and I ask you to open my heart that you would speak through me, Father, and that what you command in my heart would be the words on my lips. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I say, today we're going to be looking at the first, actually just the first few verses of Galatians. We're going to be looking at his greeting to the church of Galatia. I want to start by kind of giving a little bit of a background of what's going on here in the text and Remembering that this is a letter. This is, so it's the epistle to the Galatians, just a fancy way of saying letter to the Galatians. And it's important for us to examine it as a letter. So over the next eight weeks, at least, at least to Christmas, we're going to be going through this book. So I think we need to start with kind of getting a general idea of the letter as a whole. Paul addresses several issues uh, all throughout the letter. And today we're going to be touching on all of those issues lightly. And then over the next few weeks, we'll be getting into them more specifically and deeper. So first, what is, what is uh, the letter to Galatians? Paul wrote this letter uh, kind of as a response to some issues that were, the church was facing. He had got word of uh, 
kind of some negative things that were going on, which we're going to get into. But first, I want to talk about Paul's relationship with the people of Galatia. So Paul had this kind of miraculous conversion, something else we're going to be looking at a little bit later. And God kind of called him to be the spokesman or the missionary to the Gentiles. So anybody who wasn't a Jew at the time. And in his first missionary journey, he would have gone to Galatia, which is basically uh, most likely, some people disagree, is most likely southern, what is now southern Turkey. And so this would have been in his first missionary journey, and he would have gone down there and planted several large churches. And I want to pause on that and kind of emphasize that Paul didn't just go preach the gospel to these people. He planted churches. And I think that when we read this, this book, it it's kind of has this, uh, Paul is very aggressive and very, we'll call passionate in the way that he writes, in the way that he addresses these issues. But before we can kind of understand those, uh, the way that he's writing and the way his tone is and why he's so passionate, we have to first understand the relationship he would have had with these people. It wasn't just like, it can sound like, oh, Paul's up here kind of condemning them for their actions, condemning them for what's going on. Uh, a few phrases in the, in the book of Galatians is, oh, you foolish Galatians. And it's kind of this, okay, that's a bit harsh. I mean, take it easy, Paul, what's, what's going on? But first we have to understand the relationship. I, I mean, it's not exactly described, but the, the tone of this book shows us that Paul really loved and cared for these people. He would have spent time in these churches. He wouldn't have just gone, preached in you know, a, a large congregation and said, good luck, and move on to the next church. Planting a church is something that involves hands-on work, hands-on relationships. He would have connected with the people. He would have eaten with them. He would have spent time with them. He would have been praying with them. He would have baptized them. So, Paul's relationship with the, the people of Galatia is one that's, that's intimate and, and loving and caring and fatherly in some ways. He really cared for these people, and they cared for him. Uh, in, in the book we'll also read later on, he talks about how he was uh, illed with something. He had some sort of illness, and it kind of uh, points that it was something with his eyes. And he said, if I had asked you, you would have gouged your eyes out for me and given them to me. Like, that's the relationship they had. They had this love and caring relationship. And I think if we think about uh, planting a church and the time and energy he would have invested in training up leaders and building up the people and building up what, uh, you know, what they needed to know. And, and, and also, this wouldn't have been the only letter. There would have been several letters that have, would have gone back and forth. He would have been, you know, he kept up with what was going on there. That's how he heard about how things went south. He loved the people. He, he, he spent time with them. He taught them. He cared for them. So what happened? Something that Paul kind of dealt with all through his missionary journeys, in all of his missionary journeys, especially in this first one, is as he would go, he would spend time, he would be invested, he would plant these churches, and as soon as he would leave, other leaders would rise up and try to take over the church. And they would do this by, first, they would discredit Paul's, Paul as a person. 
claiming him not to be an authority on scripture, saying he didn't know what he was talking about, that he wasn't truly an apostle. How could he be? And they would do this by bringing up his past, talking about uh, this is the guy that used to murder Christians. Does he really know what's going on? And uh, so these false teachers would come in. And I don't know. I want to speculate a little bit. But I think it's really interesting how this might have happened. Like, I don't imagine these guys standing on the outside of what was going on, seeing Paul come in and then leave and then coming in and shouting, Paul's wrong, Paul's wrong. This is the true gospel. I think they were there. I think they were a part of the congregations. I think that they would have been involved probably in what Paul was doing in the beginning. And when Paul left, I don't think they started shouting. I think they whispered doubts of how Paul maybe doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe just a whisper of doubt about who Paul was as an apostle. And then going from there, they attacked the gospel directly. Well, if Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, then how can his gospel be truth? How can his gospel be right? And by doing this, this is where we start to see the passion of Paul in this letter. Why he would be so infuriated. One, he loved these people. And the only thing he loved more than people was the gospel. And he loved the gospel because the gospel saves people. And the thing that they were kind of mainly bringing in is, is two, two main ideas. One is the law. And they started with saying, okay, if you are saved by, by Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, that's good. That, that can get you in the door, but if you really want to be a believer, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a child of God, then you have to follow the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised. You have to, and they took it further that you had to follow every letter of the law if you really wanted to be righteous before God, which is basically the exact opposite of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's exactly the opposite of what Paul had been preaching to them. And that's something we're going to dive into a lot more in depth in the next few weeks. Like I say, we're going to be touching on a lot of things today. But we have to get an understanding of the letter as a whole before we dive in deeper. So they started to discredit Paul. They started to discredit his gospel. And the book of Galatians is going to be split into several main categories. And I really see it as as three main points that Paul kind of is emphasizing all through the book. And he just does it with different arguments and different points. And the first is Paul's defense of himself. That Paul is an apostle of Christ. That he is not just, he didn't go plant churches because he wanted to look cool. He didn't go plant churches for himself. He didn't do it because he, you know, felt compelled. He did it because he was led by Christ to do it. And because he was called as an apostle of Christ which means he had the authority of Christ as an ambassador uh, for him. And so he wasn't speaking his truth. He was speaking God's truth. The second thing that we'll see throughout this letter is Paul's defense of the gospel. And this is the primary focus. Paul is defending the gospel as truth. And the only reason he defends himself is so that he can later defend his words of what he preached of the gospel. And the last thing is Paul's, Paul kind of describes the two problems that were facing the Galatians. One is the law, that they were living by the law, and 
the foolishness of that, because if you want to live by the law, you can't just live by some of it. You have to live by all of it or none of it. So either Jesus Christ died on the cross and we're truly saved through what he did, or we have to live perfect. And I don't know about you, that doesn't sound very pleasant. I don't, would not be very good at living perfectly. And the other problem that they were facing was lawlessness. So living completely for the flesh, living completely for, hey, do what feels good. Hey, you know, whatever you're in the mood for today, this kind of whatever I feel I need to do, that's what I need to do. Living by the flesh and kind of taking bits and pieces of Christianity, bits and pieces of what they thought was good, but kind of dissecting it themselves and living for themselves. So law or lawlessness is kind of the two sideways that Paul is describing in this, in this uh, letter. And of course, Christ stands in the middle as the way, the one and only way, the true way, truly being saved only through Christ. So that's kind of a light roundup, kind of sum up of the uh, letter of Galatians. But let's go ahead and dive into our text now. And uh, we're going to be reading... Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the, Galatia, to the churches in Galatia. Hmm. I want to start by looking at this idea of not from men nor from man. And what is Paul saying there? What is his implication? Again, that he is an apostle. That's why he introduces himself first as Paul, an apostle of Christ. When he says not from men or from a man, he's talking about he wasn't sent by the church. He wasn't sent by an elders board. He wasn't sent by any particular leader. He wasn't even sent by the other apostles. Uh, he wouldn't have been, he wasn't sent by Peter or any of the heads of the church, by James. He was sent by Christ. And again, he's emphasizing this. And I think this is really, this is really neat. And this is why I'm only going to be focusing on his greeting. Because as I talk about what basically the whole book is kind of summing up, it's really interesting that he addresses all of these issues pretty in my opinion, pretty prominently, directly in his greeting. And something interesting that I kind of was looking at, when you look at other uh, letters that Paul wrote, most of the greetings are quite long, quite friendly. Most of them are encur- have encouragements added to them, talking about, hey, I, I'm encouraged that you're staying in the faith, and this one does not have any of those things. It's very direct. And even his encouragements are kind of lined with the truths of dealing with these issues especially talking about defense of himself as an apostle and defense of the gospel. So first is his defense of himself, that he just right in the open, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man. Just right off the bat, there's nobody that's behind me telling me what to do. I'm doing this not of myself. I'm doing this because Christ has called me to do it. And... I want to look briefly at Paul's conversion, and it's quite a, an interesting text and something that you could dive into deeper, but I really just want to read 
the moment when Paul's life kind of turns around. And that's found in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, we'll be reading. And here, Paul was, at the time, Paul was on his way to getting permission, basically, to make his life easier to kill Christians. Uh, He was getting permission so that he could arrest people without warrant or without reason, take them back to Jerusalem to be tried, and in most cases, preferably at the time for him, would have been executed. And so on his way to get the paperwork, basically, to make this official, this happens. As he neared Damascus on his, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now that is quite a conversion. And if you don't know the whole story, I encourage you to read it. Paul actually loses his sight and has to go through a whole experience but the whole point is it was christ that did something in his life it was christ that directly called him i my conversion was pretty awesome and miraculous for me personally but uh there were no lights from heaven i wasn't blinded and uh i didn't hear any voices there's something miraculous about paul's conversion and that's not to diminish the conversion of, of all of us as Christians, as believers, that when, when Christ does a work in us, that it's, it is a miracle. It is something miraculous. But we have to look at Paul specifically in his direct call from Christ in order to read this text properly. In order to understand this text properly, we have to first understand that Paul is not speaking on his own authority. Paul's not just an average Christian. And I want to Look at that, that, the way he addresses that even again in his greeting, at least the way I see it, when he adds uh, to all the, and all the brothers and sisters with me. There's two things I think that Paul is doing in saying all the brothers and sisters with me. The first is he's setting himself apart. So Paul the apostle and all the brothers and sisters with me. That Paul truly had a special and direct call from Christ And had an authority on his life. That's important when we read the text. Because we're looking at this text not as Paul's opinion. Not Paul's ideas. But as scripture. As the Bible. And as God's word. That uh, Paul was inspired when he wrote this letter. As an apostle of Christ. And we're going to read it as the truth of God's word. And again with this brothers and sisters with me, there's two things I think we can kind of note from that. The first, again, is Paul setting himself apart, setting himself as the apostle and the brothers and sisters. He doesn't say all the apostles with me. He doesn't say, Paul, your brother. He addresses himself as the apostle. And uh, the other thing is it shows that uh, it wasn't Paul alone that wrote this letter. He would have... It would have been read by all the people with him, and they were obviously in agreement with him. He's basically saying, I'm not just writing this on a whim. This was read and uh, looked over and examined and approved of by all the believers that are with me. It's not uh, something he's not writing. He writes passionately, but it wasn't just written and sent as we maybe have all done with emails or 
text messages or all the other kinds of messages you can do now. This was thought through. So it's not just, again, it's not an opinion. It's not just ideas. It's Bible truth. It's facts. And it was something that was approved by the believers that were there. And it comes from the Apostle Paul, chosen and called and converted by Christ himself. So, back to our text. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, like I said, I think this greeting is packed full of him addressing the issues that were being that the Galatians were facing at the time. The first, again, his defense of himself, and here, his defense of the gospel. There are several really key phrases, I think, that uh, my eye is always drawn to. And the first is grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace are pretty significant words. I don't think he used them by accident. It wasn't just because it sounded really nice in his letter. Grace is something that comes from Christ. Grace is how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And peace is what our salvation brings. Peace is something that... We can only truly experience in having a relationship with Christ. Peace, true peace, genuine peace is something that we, that we are, yeah, that we get to partake in as believers. And that's kind of tying in with this um, rescued from this present age. Obviously, he doesn't mean, you know, you were taken out of this present age. He's talking about something that's happening now. So when he talks about taken out of this present age and having peace, he's talking about salvation. And the other key phrase or the key words that uh, my eye is always drawn to is our sins, who gave himself for our sins. Paul is bringing us all on the same playing field. There's nobody that's above or below. And the, the key thing about that is, or the reason that's so important, is again, addressing the issues they were facing. What, are they, what were the false teachers teaching? That you need to work, that you aren't saved by grace alone. Grace gets you in the door, but then you have to work. And if you have to work, well, then there's this kind of hierarchy system. And Paul's saying, no, we're all together in this. We're all on the same field. There is none without sin. Christ saved us from all our sins, not just your sins or, okay, the sins you committed last week, but then if you have to work upon this and this and then those sins later, no, all of our sins and all in an instant on the cross. Christ died for all our sins. There's nothing more significant than that. There's nothing more profound and more important in Scripture. That is the gospel. That Christ gave himself for our sins. Not yours and mine, not his and hers, ours. And to me, that it speaks volumes. 
And again, this is only his greeting. This is the greeting to the letter. But it's packed full of dealing with these issues, of addressing what was happening in the church, and it's packed full of the gospel. It's packed full of the truth of what Christ did for us on the cross. And it's something that uh, we can't overlook. We have to spend time in understanding that the gospel is so important. And that's why Paul's literally filling his greeting with it. Obviously, throughout the book, he goes in a lot more in depth. But we have to stop and talk about the gospel. (laughs) And today, I want us to really think about the gospel to really ponder the gospel. I think the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, it's something that can be very complex and very in-depth, and there's a lot of debate on, well, what exactly makes the gospel the gospel? And, well, what about there's Paul's gospel and John's gospel? And, but there is also a way of looking at the gospel that's so, so simple and so easy for us to grasp. God didn't want to make it complicated for us to come to him. And to remember that he saved us from our sins. That we're all in this together. That we're saved by grace. And he offers peace. He offers us peace through his grace. And our faith in what he's done. So I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to read through some verses. And if you don't know, the Bible is full of the gospel. The Bible is full of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, there's no chapter in the Bible that you can't find some image of Christ, some image of his saving grace. And so uh, (laughs) I want to go through some scriptures. And these are just a few key ones. There are, again, literally hundreds of scriptures that we could look at, but I've narrowed it down to like six or seven that we're going to look through. And if you're here today and maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're not a Christian and you're kind of just checking this out and you're like, I don't know what's going on, gospel, our sins, what is he talking about? I want to encourage you as we read through these, what we're going to do is we're going to actually, I'm going to read them. And I want to encourage you to close your eyes. You don't have to. I'm not going to be like checking around to make sure everyone's eyes are closed. But I would encourage you to close your eyes. And I'm going to pause after I read these. And I want us to just think on what Christ did. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, then the thing that I would encourage you to try is if you really want to know, is this true? If you really want to know, is is there truth to what he's saying today? Then ask God to show himself. I think if you do that with a genuine heart, if we really say, God, I don't know what's going on with all this. I don't know what it means. But if you're there, if this is real, I want to I know. I want to know if, what this, if there's something to this gospel. I want to know if there's something to who Jesus is, to what grace, what he's talking about up there. So I, that would be my encouragement if you're here today and you're not a believer. If you are a believer, this is something that's rewarding. This is something that's encouraging. This is, this is it. This is what it's all about. This is what our faith is based on. It all starts and ends with the gospel. It all starts and ends with what Jesus Christ has done. 
For me, the gospel is beautiful and miraculous and wonderful and awe-inspiring. And I want to encourage you if you're here today and you're a believer. And sometimes we forget about the gospel. Sometimes, you know, we, we get caught up in our life. We get caught up in what's going on. And that's why I want to take this time to read through these verses and think on the gospel. Because the gospel is, was at stake. That's why Paul wrote this letter. The gospel was so important. That's why this letter was written. And so we're going to be examining this letter over the next few weeks. If we're going to be diving into some of the deeper issues that Paul addresses with walking in the spirit and, you know, for freedom Christ set us free and some of the really great famous verses from Galatians. If we're going to be diving into these deeper topics, we have to start with why was it written? It was written because the gospel was at stake. And if the gospel is being twisted and distorted, then you're going to have people that are going to be missing out on what God wants to do, that are missing out on grace, missing out on peace. So, here we go. (laughs) I'm going to read these verses. I'd encourage you, if you want, close your eyes. I'm going to pause for a few seconds after each one, and let's just think about what Christ did. And I think I used a little bit of different kinds of verses that hopefully there's one that really connects with you and impacts your life. And I think there's nothing, it can't be said better than the scripture itself. So I'm just going to read through these and then we'll be closing. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's Paul talking. 1 John 4.10, and this is my absolute favorite verse when it comes to the gospel. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And lastly, I'll end with most famous John 3:16 through 18 or through 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him
This is just a small glimpse of the verses that we could go through. Of what Christ has done for us. That he was the propitiation for our sins. I mean, he took on all the weight of sins. You know, it's not, we talk about Christ died on the cross, but his death wasn't what was amazing. Everybody dies. What was amazing is that he had the entire weight of every sin, of every person that had ever lived and that ever would live, resting on him. All of the shame, all of the hurt, all of the guilt that's associated with sin and with the wretchedness of sin and how it, the darkness of sin and the hatred that develops from sin. All of this was resting on him as he was nailed to the cross. And the glorious truth is that he is no longer on that cross. The glorious truth, the thing that, the beautiful truth is that he lives, that he conquered death, that he defeated and took those sins so that we don't have to. We all are sinners, but God Christ's love, Christ's sacrifice on the cross saved us from our sins, from all our sins. This is the gospel, and we need to know it, and we need to remember it as believers. And you may say, well, why do I need to know this? I'm already, I'm already a Christian. Why do I really need to know this? And I want to give three reasons. <laughs> the first is so that we don't fall into the ways of the Galatians. That we're not led astray. If we know the truth and we f- remember the truth, and I encourage you to memorize a couple verses. Find a couple that really you connect with. Memorize them. Remember them. Spend some time at least once a week thinking about Christ. Thinking about every day, actually, I would say, would be uh, the best. Remembering God's grace. I mean, if we could go deeper into that and how God's grace is what, I mean, every breath is a grace of God and there's a lot of beautiful aspects of what really being saved and what really uh, coming to know Christ means. But let's start with the simple truths. Before we dive deeper into this text throughout the weeks, let's start with those simple truths. So we need to know it so that we're not led astray, that we're not led to believe something that's false about the truth. The second is because it's a foundation of our faith, because this is what we believe. So when someone says, what do you believe as a Christian? We need to at least be able to give them the simple answer, the simple truth of what Christ did. And that leads us to the third. We need to know it so we can share it. We need to know the truth so that we can share it with others. That's Jesus commanded that we should go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. We need to know this truth so that we can share it. And lastly, I want to emphasize that the truth, it's, we don't have Paul here today to get up and condemn us when we're going the wrong way. But we do have this. We have the Bible. It's written in black and white, God's truth, the gospel, God's grace, God's peace, everything that we have as believers is right here. So I always want to encourage you to know the scripture. And let's not hide what we know. Let's share the gospel. 
Freiburg is full of people that don't know the gospel, full of people that don't know the truth. We should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel we know. The question becomes, do we want to live years of our lives having this great truth, this awesome experience of salvation, and then tuck it quietly in our pocket as some sort of ticket into heaven, satisfied with ourselves and content in what we've received from God, but not interested in sharing it? What will we do with what we know? What will we do with what we've been given? The gospel is always at stake. So we need to know it and we need to treasure it above all and we need to share it with others.